We are back at it in the saddle today. We have a really good episode. It's a special episode for me because we're at about four weeks of quarantine. I haven't seen my team members and partners in quite some time, and we haven't had a full episode with everybody involved. So this was a nice little reunion of everybody on track today talking about what's happened, a real breakdown of what's occurred in the last few months in real estate, in lending, and where we predict things to go, some opportunities, some things to look out for. This was a fun episode. We were feeling a little silly, um, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So stay tuned while we count back the state of events from the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak and lockdown in Canada up till today. All right, guys, enjoy. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Let's start off with some interesting news. Today, um, we heard, obviously, about the oil, the price of oil dropping barrel, if you will pretty wild to see what's happening on there right now on the international stage, just at a time where the COVID crisis is, looks like it's finally starting to level off a little bit. At least we're starting to hear some good news across the country. Now we get smacked across the side of the head with this, what appears to be oil crisis now. Yeah, it's funny. So I had somebody ask me today, uh, so will they pay me to take a barrel of oil? Because oil is at negative thirty-seven dollars a barrel, so um, yeah, it's how does that how is that going to affect our uh, our economy and our interest rates, Derek? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely pretty hard to say. Obviously, uh, oil and energy is a huge sector um, in Canada, especially throughout Alberta and Saskatchewan. So it's pretty it's pretty scary to think about what could happen in those provinces specifically, and obviously. Suicide throat Canada just comes to unemployment as a whole, like monstrous, monstrous amounts of, of employment through those those industries. So I don't know. It's interesting. We'll have to see um, see how long it stays low, how see how quickly it comes back. Um, on the mortgage side, um, I think that it probably will eventually, maybe, um, drop. The Bank of Canada could potentially drop rates to zero percent. So currently, we're sitting at 0.25. Uh, so they could come down another quarter percent, which again will affect and impact people with variable rate mortgages and lines of credit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of tough to say what that impact will be. Obviously, the federal government's probably meeting as we speak uh, to discuss how they're going to react to something of this nature. Not to make fun of it, but where they're talking about a bloodbath right now, and this is specifically going to hit hard in some of the little provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, who are already facing the beating of a COVID crisis. And then we're going to see potentially people lose additional jobs based on the fact that, hey, oil is free right now, trading at free, 100% drop overnight, which is uh, unprecedented. We haven't heard of anything like that. So... I think the impact of this from a at-home perspective is likely to be directly in those provinces and with those people. But you're right. 
the government is going to have to act because we're in a, a national economy. And to see the Bank of Canada think about possibly moving again on Prime is, is not unheard of, even though they said a week or two weeks ago that this was not going to happen, hey? Yeah, like this is, uh, this is the lowest that oil has ever been in the history, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, you know, usually there's something to compare it to, but there's absolutely nothing to compare this to. So you don't really know what the impact's going to be or, or how the country's going to react. Uh, at the same time as, you know, prime could come down, this also means that there could be and probably will be a lot more default throughout those provinces. All the, the employees uh, in that energy sector uh, will be facing mortgage default. And when that happens, we don't know. That means more risk for lenders. So does that mean that lenders jack their rates up a little bit more to kind of offset that risk? That's another thing that's, you know, obviously an unknown right now. Yeah, I think it's this whole everything that's going on has just been an unknown. Nobody can predict anyone's next step. So it's just kind of one of those things that you just have to keep, keep going through it and uh, trying to make as best of an educated decision as you possibly can. And that's another reason why today we're going to focus our time and energy talking about everything that's happened, at least almost like a, a high level view of the events that have occurred since lockdown or quarantine back in March, since even the last time that we did our last podcast before we left was actually COVID effect. And this was before we went into quarantine. So just retracing the events of what are the lenders doing now? What were they doing during that time? What types of restrictions are we seeing? Are they lending money? Is it a good time to borrow? What are you know some strategies that we can focus on? And, and even touch on things like home values. So why don't we start back at, at the start right now? So where we are today relative to where we are, we're back in, heck, let's just say the start of March from today. Mortgage lending has certainly changed. Now, on a high level, I think we start off talking about guidelines. And guidelines to somebody who's buying a home, investing in real estate, or looking at a property is typically uh, a number of different rules that a lender looks at when they're thinking about whether or not they should qualify you for a mortgage. On home front, Dean, what have you seen change or what's been the biggest change that you've seen so far in guideline changes? I think mostly around the verification process with an employee. I find the verbal verification is something they put a lot more emphasis in. Uh, tip, you know, a typical verbal verification is pretty standard in the mortgage industry when it comes to qualifying for a client that has a job with really any employer. However, those we found those calls are a little bit more in depth. So the the lenders are asking a few more questions that aren't normal, such as um, a little bit more of a comfort that their position is guaranteed and that they're not going to be laid off. So I think that's one that I've, I've definitely seen some deals almost uh, not work because of some of those conversations that, that were, were being had at, at that verification process. I think that would be probably the one that comes to mind first. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. They're just, they're asking different questions. I mean, at the same time, I do think that it's fair of the lenders to inquire uh, in regarding income. I mean, especially rental income as well, right? You have a client that has four rental properties. If those tenants aren't paying rent right now, which is totally legal, um, that could obviously impact a mortgage application as well. So um, on our side, obviously, we're just taking that. Uh, we've always been very uh, information up front, 
approval, pre-approval afterwards. Um, but we're just doing a little bit more due diligence on our end and having those tough conversations. And every single client that comes to us now, if they're an employee, I have to ask them if, if you know, if there's talks or if they think that they may be getting laid off in the, in the next couple of months. Because if they are, first of all, they might not want to look at buying a home. But second of all, we have to prepare because if you're removing subjects on a purchase and you get laid off in the middle, it could be, you know, a pretty shitty situation. We've noticed, at least in specific files that we've been looking at, different situations where lenders are looking at, okay, now do you have proof proof over three months of bank statements that in fact your tenant is making payments right now? Do you have these filed taxes? Do you have other verification? What's your lease look like? They're doing a lot more scrutiny, you know, scrutinizing of each file. Typically, we would be able to get certain exceptions with certain lenders for some of these things. Maybe they just get one of the three items or, or two of the three items. But now they're going down documentation step by step by step by step by step. It's kind of an unwritten rule of lending where there's guidelines and then there's the hidden guidelines. And what I'm seeing is no living to the rules step by step by step and you're everything from credit to you have a job and you say you have guaranteed hours but you're getting short hours or it's not adding up they're looking at where's your income right now on a high level everything that we're seeing right now which is probably not to be not surprising but it's just tighter really more strict yeah yeah so if you're trying to get into the market or you're trying to refinance just be prepared for a little bit of a I don't know if I want to call it a painful process, but they are going to be asking a lot of questions and asking for more documentation than typical. So just be prepared for it. And we make sure that all of our clients are prepared going into that and, and have the right mindset going into it. Um, on my side, other than that, like comparing to where we were in March, obviously we came through a pretty busy beginning of the year. March was looking crazy, crazy busy. Uh, we had a ton of people getting into the market. We still do have a, a fair amount of active purchasers, but um, you know, obviously when everything came out, it, I think it was a mental shock for a lot of people. So it really did just slow things down. Yeah. Uh, back in March when things were working really well, we noticed that there were some programs uh, that might've been released. The loan to value for our self-employed clients. So clients um, that are business for self looking to um, get into the market right now, we've seen their minimum down payment go from 20% to as high as 25%. Uh, pretty much across the board with our, our self-employed lenders. So that's one, that's a big one. Cause I've, I've talked to a lot of business owners that are, are, that are very busy right now with business for a number of reasons and they're eager to get into the market. Uh, and they just realize that they have to put a little bit more money in uh, from, from a cash perspective. So that was an important one that I didn't want to miss. And that's so key right now on that topic. If we're going to continue down different lending institutions, we noticed that in the beginning of March, private lenders were making a big comeback and they were in a situation where they had been lending. They had been lending a heck of a lot cheaper because of a, a number of reasons. They were trying to get that money out. And then within, what was it? One week or two weeks, we saw our maximum loan to value, which is the property value that they'll loan up to being around 75 and even as high as 80% within about a week to two weeks, we saw that dip down with almost all private lenders down to 65% maximum property value, 60, 55. If you're rural, maybe 50 huge drop. And there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously people were pulling their money out of their investments. Additionally, there's concern over property values, which leads to property values guys. 
what's happening yeah. right now? What are you seeing on the home front? Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable that property values will drop. Like, I think it is what it is at this point. There's obviously going to be people, unfortunately, that are in a kind of a fire sale mindset, right? If somebody can't afford their house, maybe they need to access their equity. There's not enough, so they have to sell it. Um, if somebody's in a pinch, they're going to be accepting an offer that's probably below market value. And I mean, from an appraisal standpoint, as soon as one house on that street sells below market value, the rest of those home values are affected, right? It's, what's, it's the value that someone's willing to pay. That's really what sets the value of the property. So it's, um, it's interesting. I think that there, for, for people that are looking to get, it, that, to get into the market, I think that there might actually be an opportunity to get a deal on real estate, which is very unique, obviously, where we live. Um, so keeping your eye on the market, you know, we have a ton of people that are pre-approved and I've chatted with hundreds of them over the last month. And, you know, as much as a lot of people are on the fence, cause they're not sure what's going to happen. I'm just telling them to keep their eye on it, keep their eye on different neighborhoods and property types, and they'll see what's happening. Right. And if you see a property that comes across your plate and it makes sense then go for it. Yeah. Um, the other big thing that I just, you know, it keeps coming up and everybody's concerned with their property values dropping. Like everybody has that concern. Right. Um, but the, biggest piece that I, I can't stress enough is unless you have a plan in the next say 12 to 24 months to sell your house or to refinance and access equity but I mean in, in my conversations with a lot of our clients everybody has concern with property values and, and property values going down and I just keep telling everybody that unless you have an active plan to sell your house in the next 12 to 24 months or if you have a plan to refinance and pull out equity first of all do it now most likely it's a good time to move on that while property values are still fairly high. But if you don't have plans on moving, if you're in your long-term home and you don't have plans on accessing that equity for the next three, four, five years, it actually doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant, right? It only matters if you're actually trying to gain access to the equity in your home. If you're going to ride this out and you're going to be in your house for five, 10 years, don't worry about it. You have a place to live as long as it's affordable, stay in your property. Everything will come back. I mean, you look at the history of real estate, it will come back. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a lot of people are stressing about something that's not overly relevant in their financial situation right now. Yeah. On the inverse effect of that point, the people that should be looking at getting in now because of what you mentioned before, appraisal values dropping, and we are starting to see them dip. Are those that maybe bought one, two, three, four years ago, or they're coming up for renewal and they are trying to access equity for an investment. Um, you know, we had a client that I just closed uh, her file today, just finishing up huge success story. We're talking a situation where she bought four years ago. So we're refinancing her a little bit early today, a year early. And we talked her, we took her payments from a cumulative 5,000, I think it was like $5,200 down to $2,800, a pretty big drop down in terms of total cost of her monthly budget. And the only way we were actually able to do that was by doing that refinance. And the interesting point about that is when we did the estimate with our appraiser 30 days ago to today, even there, the property value dipped about 30K. Now, again, we're not really concerned about that property's long-term value. It could be six months, 12 months, one and a half years, two years, and it's going to come back up in price. But such a key consideration, and particularly if you're someone who's quote unquote trying to take advantage of the situation, if you're an investor, you want to get that refinance done reduce and optimize your payments and get the equity out, right? That's a big piece out of all this, right? For sure. For sure. I've, I've had a number of people say like, oh, I'm going to wait and get a big deal or, you know, I'm going to get a deal because of this, like people looking to get in the market and maybe just instead of really looking for the deal or the cheapest, uh, 
you know, property, you know, one of the things that, that a pro many uh, property investors have mentioned is always looking for the jewel in a home. Like if you're looking at a townhouse or a condo, like maybe looking for the, instead of looking for the deal, maybe looking for the unit that has the bigger corner patio or has the, you know, the, the corner double garage and the townhouse complex, like something that will set your, your, particular property apart from the rest in that community like that's where i would be looking for a deal opposed to um uh you cheapest. know the cheapest yeah yeah that's yeah. a good point biggest appreciation hey this is a good time for it's crazy to say this in a conversation with a client today they didn't fully ask she asked the question she said is it is it actually a good time to buy because of the whole idea if property values go down and we looked at it from a perspective okay how much are you paying right now in rent and they're still working so they're still paying rent two thousand dollars a month we looked at what type of property they're trying to buy. We took an appreciation rate of two and a half percent and we looked at over five years to get to the end of the story. They were going to earn an estimated based on two and a half percent appreciation, 200 K minimum between paying down the mortgage and appreciation when compared, compared to paying the $2,000 a month of rent and having to save up all that extra money and worry about investing in something else. So is it a good time to buy? Sure. If you're hanging on to the property, it, it, typically always makes sense. And we're going to see this storm come through. So why don't we touch on some of the programs that we've seen get cut off and why specifically credit unions, guys, we saw almost immediately two weeks after the, not actually not even two weeks. Was it a week after this all happened? We saw credit unions start to announce literally walking away from the channel. If you're not a member, you're not getting access to the programs. What did, what did you guys see on that side? Why do you think we saw that? So a big part of that was um, obviously at the beginning of this rates came down drastically for like five business days. We had a window of insanely low rates uh, and that obviously creates an influx of mortgage applications. So the credit unions along with all the banks and other lenders saw this monster, monster influx of mortgage applications and credit unions just simply are not built like the bank. Like they do not have the call centers. Um, they're a little bit more, you know, a local small town feel. They're just not built for that type of volume. So I think the volume was a big part of it. They needed to slow that down. They needed to cut it off and just stop it. At the same time, they're not funded like the banks are, right? Like they do not have the capital requirements that the banks do to lend out billions and billions of dollars in times like these. So I think that's another part. Um, and then obviously risk, right? Like risk-based pricing, risk-based lending. Uh, they obviously see what's happening in the markets as well, and they probably need to protect their assets and, and, and the money that's out there already. So taking these big steps is, I think, you know, a lot of kind of security for an institution. Banks are doing similar things. They're just not cutting off lending to everybody, right? Like they are increasing rates. Uh, so those are some of the key pieces that I that I found going into that. And, and when that was happening, I think that those are some of the big reasons to why they cut off and they're only willing to serve members and i mean in addition to that uh construction financing has been cut off by pretty well all credit unions right now there are a couple that are still um, offering construction and that's obviously a different beast completely construction you know if you're buying a, an existing home the lender knows exactly what they're getting they know the security is there they know the house is built they know the values there when it's appraised um, going into a build right now is kind of a different story because you're buying land uh, and they're hoping that you're going to build this house with their money, right? They're giving you the money in draws. So there's a lot more risk in that for a lender. Um, and I think the big concern there is, you know, how, how bad does the market get over the next 12 months while you're building? Is it going to get bad enough that someone decides not to finish their home? 
right? And the last thing that a lending institution wants is to have, you know, a million dollars lent out on a three quarters built home. They're not in the business of hiring builders and finishing homes and selling homes, right? It's just the last thing they want to have a book at a time like this, I believe. Um, so that's been kind of interesting and we've done a lot of research and due diligence to help our clients find uh, construction lending uh, resources. So we found a couple of credit unions that are still offering programs. They're a little bit more expensive, but uh, at the end of the day, it is what it is. People need to, uh, a lot of people have committed to purchasing lots and building homes. So um, yeah, we spent some time finding programs that are still available and hopefully they'll be around for the next little bit. Yeah, just Man, on the... So Oh, sorry. I was just going to add one piece on the construction. Like a lot of people don't realize that when you get it a, a construction loan, the lender doesn't actually give you all of that money up front. Uh, so they actually hold on to that money for as you progress through the project. So there's times where lenders could be holding on to as much as $500,000 and not making any money on it, but they have to hold it back in a reserve for you. So it's ready and available for you when you get to that stage of construction. So it's very difficult for these credit units to essentially hedge that money. Uh, for that long period of time. And that's part of the reason why that, that's usually the first product to go in times like this. To speak to a little bit of positivity. I mean, one of the advantages that we have is being brokers. We're not limited. So the neat thing actually on our plate has been even getting more resourceful. And I think we're pretty resourceful guys getting more resourceful and finding new funds. There's, there's new lenders popping into the channel. There's new opportunities that we've been able to work out. And we've been doing a lot of these lifesaver type of loans right now where maybe their bank or their other broker couldn't find that solution and just being really, really creative. So I think the biggest thing right now is, hey, rates are still great. There are still options. And yeah, there are jewels like you mentioned, Dean, right now, but it's definitely shifting your focus on what your expectations are, not in a negative light, but just what the opportunities are just changed. That's it. Just like running our business, the opportunities for what types of people that we're serving day to day have maybe shifted more towards uh, some people who are looking at optimizing their mortgage, refinancing, that sort of situation. But that doesn't mean there's not options there for people. So on that front, interest rates, everyone's favorite topic, favorite topic in the world. We saw the variable rate discount go from prime minus one and even greater at some points, literally evaporate in, a, in I don't even know, two days, three days to prime, prime minus 20, prime plus 20 in, in a night. And today, what, what did we see today? I think we saw some of the banks actually come back a little bit. So we're recommending variable rates for a lot of our clients. Maybe speak a little bit, guys, to the why on that. And we could talk about some strategies going forward in that. In that, Yeah, space. I've had a ton of questions of why did it go down so suddenly and then why did it go back up uh, so quickly? Uh, so, I mean, just maybe we could just talk to like a couple reasons as to why that happened. Uh, mostly, there, it was a shock to the system. Like I think we've mentioned the amount of refinances and equity, you know, switches that people were trying to do to simply just either obtain uh, capital or or get a lower interest rate so there's a huge wave of mortgages for that five-day period where you know a ton of ton of broker mortgage brokers and clients were essentially just trying to get access to these low rates as quick as possible and then we had a very busy, busy spring market i know in, in the lower mainland the, the spring market was very busy before this all went down and so a lot of those offers that were being written in february and and really early march that all needed to get funded and and fulfilled during this crazy time so 
So lenders were really busy with purchases during that time too. So not to mention you get this huge influx of refinances and then all these purchases from that busy spring market. It was just a really, really good recipe of just a crazy amount of business for banks and lenders. So they, they adjusted rates upwards to simply stop the business for a period of time. And now we're seeing them get back to, uh, you know, sustainable workflows where they can actually reduce rates and, uh, and keep moving forward and, and start getting, you know, back to normal, normal process. A couple other reasons that rates have gone up. So cost of funds for lenders has increased quite a bit. So it's a, it's an interesting concept, but lenders actually, the way that they lend out money is partially based on the amount of funds that they have on deposit. And when I say funds on deposit, that quite literally means your savings account, your checking account, your RRSPs, they lend against that money. And what's happened when the stock markets fell down and equity markets dropped, a lot of people pulled cash out. People are pulling money out to get out of the markets. People are pulling money out because they need cash to live right now, right? So by doing that, the banks have, have less liquidity to lend out into the market. So they actually have to start paying more for money on deposits. So like a GIC, an investment with a bank, they're, they're actually paying more for the money that you're going to deposit because they need it on the books to be able to lend more money out in the form of a mortgage. So um, as confusing as that is, that's one of the reasons cost of funds has increased for the bank. So they obviously have to uh, increase interest rates. Uh, another part of it is if you were to look at the stock market and you look at some of the bank's um, stock prices, they've fallen drastically, some of them 40%, right? So that obviously um, is an internal expense that the banks have to cover. So there's multiple reasons behind it. And then another one is obviously risk, right? There's a ton of risk in our real estate market right now with default and, and loss of income and, and unemployment is huge. So um, there's a couple different factors there, but I think those are some of the main reasons that we've seen rates go up after the quick drop. Yeah. Also keep in mind, reduced staff. So a lot of these head offices actually had to uh, decrease how many people were in those offices. They had social distancing um, rules that they had to you know, abide by. So a, a huge reduction in staff. You know, beginning of March, we heard about this deferral thing. We've dealt with it in the past with what happened in Fort Mac in certain unique situations. Obviously, this was a national uh, situation that was going on. Pretty much every chartered bank over the course of a week launched, hey, we're going to defer your mortgage because the government almost mandated it for up to six months. But no lender knew how they were doing it. And nobody told us how they were doing it. And the lenders didn't know how they were doing it. So it was absolute mayhem for the better part of two weeks, possibly. Now, we worked very hard to get as much information as we could. But when information is changing, obviously, there's some unique considerations what types of solutions would fit for what kind of people. And, and we found out really quickly, this wasn't going to be a fit for every single client. Now, just I just want to fast forward a little bit to where we're at today before going into some alternative options that we've sorted out. Where we're at today is that it appears most traditional lenders, banks, and so forth have figured out a solution. And they are either doing it month by month, payment by payment, or just a flat six months if you're with one of the big banks. But that still left a lot of our clients and a lot of people asking questions around what they can do, what they can't do. And what about all that extra debt? What if I don't want to defer and pay more interest on my, my car or my credit card or, you know, these types of situations. So we got a little creative. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people deferring your mortgage payment, if you really need to defer your mortgage payment, it's probably because you lost your job. You're not working right now. There's, you know, a lot more to pay for than just your mortgage. So we learned quickly that um, they're going to need more. 
uh, just plain and simple. Um, when you take a look at what, you know, some of the other incentives that have been, you know, released by the government, such as, you know, the $2,000 a month from the emergency fund and other, you know, the EI and everything else, it, it's still, we're just finding it's still not quite enough. So we took a look at that and said, okay, how can we potentially provide more relief? And that's where we came up with the equity relief plan, which for a lot of people, it makes a ton of sense. And what we're looking at here is taking all of somebody's payments. So we're looking not just at their mortgage, not just at their car loan and their, you know, potential credit products, but what do they, what do they need to live? What do they need to put food on the table? Uh, every single dollar that they would typically spend in a month, itemizing that in a, in a list or a budget, uh, which would, you know, we would usually do on a, on an Excel sheet, but really dialing that in and figuring out what that dollar amount is per month and providing that, uh, as relief. So, so you're covering every cost that you would normally do and not have to defer your payment and not have to worry about little Johnny's bowl of cereal. Like everything is getting covered. I love my cereal. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a key point. I think that kind of goes back to uh, making smart decisions from the beginning. We have four kind of key strategies that we follow along. And, and I think we're going to save that for another episode because that's a long conversation around making sure that you have enough of a backup plan for a few months. Uh, analyzing on a, on a semi-regular basis with someone like us, your total cost of various debts, credit cards, lines of credit, because this thing compounds so quickly. You know, consider things like your cash flow. What does that look like? Could it be optimized better? The traditional mindset is I, I want to pay off my mortgage as quick as possible. I don't want to carry my mortgage. But the reality is, is that's generally speaking, your biggest asset. That's your home. Not that we recommend refinancing every day or every year or anything of that nature, but make those smart decisions. Make them educated. Oh, 100%. Eric. I mean, there's a, if there's a way to reduce your monthly cash, uh, out, you know, what's coming out of your bank account per month, if there's a way to do that, regardless of a pandemic, I think you should always be looking at that. I mean, who wouldn't want to save money as much as five to $600 a month? If there's an ability to do that, which we're finding solutions for people that are still working, people are starting to get smarter about budgeting and looking at, you know, safety funds, but just simply just trying to get better at their monthly um, budgeting. That's really what, uh, you know, a true optimization plan is all about. Yeah. And I mean, there's some strategy behind that too. You don't always necessarily have to refinance just to lower your cost of living. Lowering your cost of living is great, but say it is an extra $500 a month. But if you can afford that, dumping that money down on the principal of your mortgage is going to save you so much interest. A lot of times what people don't look at when you're looking at a cost comparison of monthly costs is, uh, obviously, okay, that's $500 a month that you're saving, but what is the actual interest in principal savings as well? If you were to do additional principal pay down, right? It's, it's, it's insane. Um, so yeah, just, you know, going through a thorough budget, understanding your costs, looking at the outcome, making sure that, making sure that the costs of that refinance and that relief program do make sense and they do jive with what you're looking to do. And, uh, I just like, in my personal opinion, I think that the deferral and obviously EI, it, it can be very, very limiting and it's out of your control, right? If deferral ends in six months and this goes on for nine months, what does that look like, right? That will be a terrible situation for a lot of people and I'm sure the banks will find a way to assist, but we just don't know right now. So if there's a way to have control of that and plan for a longer period of a worst case scenario, I think that's the best thing that anybody can do right now. Uh, and at the same time, you know, some people, you might not have the equity to tap into, uh, deferral is there for a reason. 
And yes, there's a cost to it. It's not that dramatic of a cost. So if you need it, absolutely make use of it. That's what it's there for. It is way better than missing a mortgage payment, way better. So if you're in that position and you don't have any other options, absolutely take advantage of it. Yeah, and to Alex's point earlier, every lender does have a different program. So if you ever have questions about how to defer a payment, do not hesitate to reach out. I'm gonna sum this up really quickly. A lot of shit's changed. A lot of things are different but everything's the same. Opportunities are still there. People are still getting mortgage options. The, the best thing for me out of all of this in this conversation, and if you're still, stay you're still staying tuned to listen to the end of this right here is, is that people are actually taking the time right now to focus on their finances and that feels good, right? N knowing their numbers, knowing where they're at, putting themselves into a good situation. People are slowing down and really understanding what's serving their purpose. So, hey, if you listened this long, shoot us an email, info at thrivemortgage.ca. Just put cash flow calculator. We'll send you a copy of our budget spreadsheet and we'll give you help with understanding how to use that. Um, reach out. That's, that's what the team is here for. And this is what we're, I, I can't speak anymore. This is what we're good at. All right, guys, let's call it a night. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Make sure to check us out. Rate us on iTunes. Share this with your friends, your family, your loved ones. And we'll see you next time.